Live to tape. Welcome to Millennial Season 3, Episode 25. I'm Laura. I'm Elisa. And I'm Matt. Hey. No Andrew this week. Uh, he's off having tea and crumpets, right? Isn't that something that he's doing? I oh, he's going, to, he's going to London? Yeah, so I didn't know that. Yeah, so he's in London, and I can't actually remember if there was a reason for him to be there. Or yeah, I was just kidding, like... because last episode, he was just constantly reminding <laughs> us he was going to London. Ham. I mean, in his defense, he has to do it, because otherwise this thing is a complete disaster without him. Oh, yeah, and he apparently it's for a surprise or something that's going to get all the listeners excited, but mm. not us. So I don't know what the fuck that means. He doesn't care about us, Matt. Let's just, let's just accept this. <sighs> anyway, uh, speaking of surprises, Elisa, you were just at your family's uh, creepy-ass haunted plantation home. How was that? Uh, yeah, You're alive. Was. You made uh, it. <laughs> guys, so it was... This year was actually not as active of a year as it has been in the past. I was a little disappointed because oh, I no. was like, totally stoked to like bring you guys some creepy-ass stories. There were a couple of things that happened, though. One, it was like the very first night that we're there, sitting out on the porch... And my boyfriend, who had never been there before, this was his first time, the only thing that he knew about Chickahominy are the stories I've told about this place on the show. So he gets there pretty creeped out, but we're sitting out on the front porch, and he starts hearing um, a baby and, like, a child. Oh, no. shit. Fuck that. Yeah. No. Uh-uh. And he turns to me, and he's like, do you hear that? And I honestly didn't hear it. And I'm like, No. He's like, there is a child in the house. I hear like a kid like talking really lightly and like a baby. I can't tell if maybe they're the same or if they're two separate, but like there has to be a kid in the house. He like got up and's like looking around and there's obviously not. Um, but that's no one of the more common things that people hear. And then and and I heard like it took me like a day, but the next day we're sitting in the same spot again, just chilling on the porch. And now I hear it. Yeah. And yeah, I hear it. And it was it was really, really weird. It was like the same time of day, everything, just 24 hours apart. And we both heard like what sounded like a child talking to you, but not nearby. Almost like they were in a room upstairs and you were kind of hearing their voice like waft out of the window. Um, mm-hmm. But like a no. small child with like a high pitched voice. Do you know what I mean? I do, but I don't accept it. I don't want to. I don't want this to be real because we knew about this story like five, six years ago. We when we had this conversation about the house and stuff for the first time. Well, you were talking about I a baby know. crying, and that's the creepiest thing about it. Really, is that it just hasn't ever let up, and it's pretty much the most common experience people have at our vacation house is hearing a baby crying or or children. And it, it's like the time you know. I think I might have told this story already, but. It's so prevalent and so common. I've heard it my whole life, but my mother never did. And when I was in, you know, my teen, my, my teen years, I was in high school. My mom came into my bedroom one night and she was like, do you hear that? I'm like, hear what? And she goes, that baby crying. How do you not hear that? I'm like, yeah, I hear it, mom. That baby's been crying for years. And her face turns no. pale 
and she just like looks like she's about to vomit and she uh, could not sleep that night. So it's I, I was kind of glad that he had that experience because it's just sort of like a rite of passage at this house. <laughs> <laughs> nope. You can take that shit and fuck right off. I'm just I'm not not interested. Yeah. We're going to oh, do it again. And- We're going back to this house. The the worst part of that is that like all around the house are pictures of babies and children, and they're all obviously black and white photos, like real old something straight from a horror movie. Because the house itself really <laughs> is like a hundred and twenty five years old at this point, so it looks like you stepped into like a Stephen I you were King about novel. To be like, I thought you were about to be like, and they're all obviously dead. <laughs> no, well, I obviously. Was. No, no, seriously, that's what actually what I was going to say next. And and the thing that a lot of people don't realize about those pictures, they're creepy enough as they are. But if you look really closely, many of the kids are dead in the photos. Because back in the day, taking a picture was a big deal. It was new oh, technology. Yeah. You didn't get to do Post-mortem it often. portraits. Yeah, you, you didn't get to do it often. And you really only got to do it if you were pretty wealthy. And so... When a child died, that was a big deal. And parents, wealthy parents, would say, okay, I'm going to get a photo of my kid because I want something to remember them by. And we have no other pictures. It was such a new, novel thing. So the pictures in that house are mostly of dead children. Then the fact that you hear them on top of it, it was was an experience. That is such a weird concept, but it's so fascinating. I remember yeah. I get into those kind of moods where I want to look at, not particularly the normal things to look at, right? <laughs> yeah. Don't I you get guys into weird moods where I want to where look I at pictures wanna... of dead people. D- yeah. You know, <laughs> natural curiosity, right? I So I have a question, Elisa. What is the purpose of leaving these pictures up? Obviously, we've reached a point in history where that's not like, a thing that people mm. enjoy like is it is it in an attempt to preserve the house's history i, I mean think, I, I is your dad is your dad just yeah. like really excited to freak people out because i could see that too i'm pretty sure that though it, i i'm pretty sure if we took those photos down that we would all die right because then they come after you and you've like opened oh, another I portal see. and you're fucking haunted for life <laughs> And the next yeah, just thing you leave know, that shit where it lies. Yeah, exactly. Leave, like, leave where it lies. I'm, I'm not interested in like having my own personal Blair Witch project. So, yeah. I, I mean, I, to be perfectly honest, like I wouldn't even change the bed sheets. Like I wouldn't change anything in that house. But it also is. You're right. It also is about the history of the house. So that I mean, the house being as old as it is and having so much history, it's very important to my whole family that it just kind of stay as preserved as possible. Even when mm-hmm. we do things like paint the house and update furniture and whatever, we always try and get period pieces and we try and paint the walls the same colors as they were originally. So it's really just about preserving the house as it was. And I'm sure, mm-hmm. you know, a hundred years ago, those pictures were pretty blasé and, and common. But now it's like nightmare fuel. Wow. Anyway, cool. that was my past... That was my past week. The, oh, the last thing I wanted to mention on this, though, is I did promise I was going to take a video of Chickahominy and, like, take a tour for patrons. I did do that, but there's a little technical issue I'm running into where the video is way too long, 
and I'm trying to figure out how to transfer it to Patreon. So bear with me while I do that. That's it. I but can you help. will have it. You will have it. I got you, girl. I got All you. Right. Oh my god, I can't wait to see like something floating in the back that you didn't notice before. <laughs> I honestly, so I recorded it by myself and I'm walking around the house and there's, and it was like kind of sunset time. So I, there, there's moments where I thought to myself, I can't really see in that room. The sun's kind of glaring at a weird angle. Probably when I look back at this, there's going to be a demon in the corner over there. <laughs> I would Either not be surprised. I would way. not be surprised. Oh. God, why do you do this yep. to yourself? <laughs> Speaking of um, wondering why people do things to themselves, apparently there's been like another email snafu. Elisa, what did Hillary Clinton do now? Oh, Swear yeah. to God, this woman and her damn emails. Mm-mm. Well, God, I don't even know where to start. With this. <laughs> I don't know where to start with this. Uh, however dumb people thought Hillary Clinton was for mishandling her emails, uh, which she did, but. However dumb of a mistake that was, let's talk for a minute about Donald Trump fucking Jr. and what he did today. So what happened was on Saturday, the New York Times reported that Donald Trump Jr. met with a Russian lawyer, Natalia Vavavavla something, can't even pronounce it, but he met with a Russian lawyer with uh, known bona fide connections to the Kremlin. This lawyer apparently insinuated to Donald Trump Jr. that she had, quote, incriminating information on Hillary Clinton, and he wanted to meet, or she wanted to meet with Donald Trump Jr. about that information. Um, That was on Saturday. The story has just sort of caught on fire since then, and it led up to today, where in an apparent attempt to exonerate himself from wrongdoing, Donald Trump Jr., tweeted out effectively evidence of his own willingness to collude with Russia during the election. Um, He tweeted out what was a series of emails between himself and uh, a a go-between between himself and the Russian lawyer. And the emails are pretty damning, but in effect... They they reveal that he was willing to to or he went into the meeting rather fully expecting that information on Hillary Clinton, and was kind of pissed when it ended up not being much. Turned out the lawyer really didn't have anything and was using that as a pretext for talking about something totally unrelated. So I want to get into this a little bit with you guys, but. The the main defense that the White House seems to be using at the moment is that nothing really came from the meeting. Sure, he might have met with the Russian attorney, and that's pretty suspicious and potential evidence that he was willing to collude. But actual collusion didn't really take place because the attorney didn't actually have any information. Is that a solid defense or not? No, because let me read you what I think is the biggest takeaway from this these series of emails that Donald Trump Jr. posted to his Twitter. Um, this is from this lawyer. It says, uh, the Crown Prosecutor of Russia met with his father, R.S., this morning, and in their meeting offered to provide the Trump campaign with some official documents and information that would incriminate Hillary and her dealings with Russia and that would be very useful to your father. 
This is obviously very high level and sensitive information, but is part of Russia and its government's support for Mr. Trump. Bingo. I don't I don't like, see how you walk back from that. Well, you walk back to Hillary Clinton. Right. But, and that's sort of been like all of like the Trumpsters like responses, like all of his red hat supporters being like, well, I mean, this is one email. Hillary Clinton had like 30,000. Bitch, she's not president. You don't get to fall back on her every time somebody close to Trump fucks up. And also, exactly, she's not the president. And also this 30,000 emails that they're referencing, we don't know what is in them. Uh, and this one, we know exactly what's in it. Mm-hmm. And to be clear, all the other thousands upon thousands of emails the FBI sorted through of Hillary Clinton's revealed absolutely nothing. So uh, there's really, there's no comparison. You look at one fucking email from these guys who by, which, by the way, they tweeted out on their own. Okay, we'll get to that in a second. But <laughs> and you see, and you see willingness to collude. But like, you search through tens of thousands of Hillarys, and you don't really, and we didn't really find anything. So that's a big difference. But her emails, though. I, I think. It's <laughs> anyway, a, but I clarify, yeah, I want to clarify. I just want to clarify that this go-between. So what happened was is that there was a go-between named Rod Goldstone. Rod Goldstone, like douche extraordinaire, is basically a publicist. He's like sort of like a sort of entertainment uh, type. But he had a lot of connections to the Russian government, to the Kremlin, and a lot of connections to the Trump family. And so what it appears as though happened is that Rod Goldstone found out that this Natalia woman, this lawyer from the Kremlin, wanted to speak with the Trump family, and he sort of served as the 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 connection between the two. So and it and, and the quote that you just read, Laura, about how uh it was about how the Russian government supports the Donald Trump campaign. That's a critical, critical quote because it shows that Russian that the Russian government d- did indeed support Trump from the very beginning was indeed attempting to influence the election and that furthermore Donald Trump Jr knew about it cuz he read the fucking email that said in black and white Russia wants to help your father but the defense of that is that all this came from Rod Goldstone it's not like Putin emailed that to Donald Trump Jr. It came from Rod Goldstone, who's just this random fucking publicist who happens to know people in the Kremlin. So how damaging is it really? It's not like that email came from the Russian government itself. Yeah, and see, that. to be honest with you, this is what worries me because it feels like these are the sorts of technicalities that this administration is able to slip by on. I will say it's also worth noting that Donald Trump Jr., he, he's trying to pass this off as just being transparent, but he didn't actually release these emails until it became apparent that the New York Times was going to do it for him because they already had the emails. So he just tried to beat them to the punch and put them out there and be like, see, I'm being transparent. I have nothing to hide. But that, of course, made his Twitter account 
the funniest thing on Twitter all day because everyone was like, oh. Have you read them? <laughs> yeah. Everyone was like, no, my man, what are you doing? It doesn't work that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm just really curious to see where this is going to go and where this is going to lead to, especially right now with the Senate still having to get that Trump care bill passed. And now all this shit. Yeah, I mean, Mueller, who's running the investigation now, um, has announced that this is going to be uh, an official part of the investigation now. So these emails between Donald Trump Jr. Oh, and by the way, wasn't Paul Manafort copied on these or didn't he have them forwarded to him? It was Jared Kushner and yeah, Paul Manafort. Yeah. yeah, so it wasn't, yeah. we're not we're not just talking one person, by the way. So like literally, we've got in the space of like a week, the White House has gone from nobody ever talked to any Russians ever, and then it went to nobody in the campaign talked to any Russians, and now they're just like, oops, like, right? Who, who do we got left? God. And it's, it's, oh my God, it's, it's, I'm almost embarrassed for them. Is this like not the dumbest family to ever fucking family? I mean, (laughs) they all just tweet their own demise. It's, and ours, by the way, it's unbelievable. I think that's a, it's, it's an important point to bring up the fact that they, that they have talked so often about, no, there was no conversations, period. Like this is all a lie. If you, you there's so much footage of Kellyanne Conway, of uh, Sean Spicer, of of Trump himself saying that there was that that none of these conversations ever took place and there was nothing to this story. Now we have evidence that there was, and so I think that if anything comes of this, it will it won't necessarily be because meeting with a Russian lawyer is in itself illegal. I don't think that it is. Legal experts are are not saying that that is. Uh, what mm-hmm. is illegal, however, what is illegal is attempting to collude with the Russian government. It remains to be seen whether or not this meeting constitutes collusion, but the meeting in and of itself might not be enough to be to to lock anyone up or to impeach anybody. But, it's enough, though, to raise suspect, though, especially with the ongoing investigation. And also, right? again, like what Laura said, is that they've talked, they've they've said so often that none of this ever happened, and now we know that it did. That frankly, I think maybe perjury might be the rule of the day. It could mm-hmm. be that somebody said that under oath at some point, whether it's to Robert Mueller, to an FBI agent, who knows, right? But perjury could be the thing that gets them in the end. Perjury and obstruction of justice. We might not have enough evidence to to really say collusion for sure, but we probably mm-hmm. maybe will for perjury and obstruction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I don't know. It's I, I saw this and my immediate reaction was like, it's kind of sad and it's kind of funny, but I don't think anything's going to happen. I really no, don't. I really don't because happen. he he has blown through every failsafe that was built into the country's foundation, right? Like I'm just what is it going to take? He's blown through every failsafe except for one so far, and that is the special investigation. 
That is, and that's uh, what he's most antagonizing on, yeah, at least only, in public. Yeah, but I mean, can't he can't he fire Mueller at any point? Technically, he could. He would have to ask the Department of Justice to fire Mueller, and then the Department of Justice would technically probably have to do that under his direction. But the likelihood of, of, of that happening, I think, is pretty small because Jeff Sessions has recused himself. So Jeff Sessions has no part in it. And so now you're really asking some lower level folks at the Department of Justice to do the firing of Robert Mueller. And they don't have an allegiance to Donald Trump the same way that Jeff Sessions does. So they could quit. They could resign and that's probably pretty likely, in my opinion. I mean, I don't know, but my guess is that you would see a rebellion at the Department of Justice if Trump tried to do that. What do you think are the odds of Donald Trump eventually taking the stand under oath? <laughs> that's a good question. I think or like what, what would I have think... to happen for that actual, like that beautiful moment to happen? Because I feel like we're getting close. Like we have to be getting close to a certain point. Do we really think his lawyers are going to let him anywhere near something like that? I don't know. Regardless I mean, of what he of what he's been told to do or not, in the end, if he wants to do something, it seems like he's going to do it. Can we can we institute a new rule that anything that Donald Trump tweets is being tweeted under oath? Because that's how you get him. Yeah. Can we put it maybe in like the Twitter customer agreement forms or something? <laughs> Where like in it has like, do you swear to tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth? I mean, if that's if that's true for everyone, then I'm fucked because I've I've said some shit, guys. Um, oh, yeah. But yeah, I guess we're just really gonna have to keep an eye on this and how it unfolds in the coming days. Um, it's it's another example of like how this administration is like simultaneously ripping our democracy apart, but like also providing some of the best comedic relief we could have ever hoped for. It's, you know, I just think it's incredibly sad. It, I find it's, I find it so depressing at this point, how much they're able to get away with. Let's at mm-hmm. this point, we have to call a spade a spade and say that, that they're liars, right? Like, Oh yeah. You, oh, absolutely. You can agree with them on policy and you can say, okay, well, I agree that we should repeal Obamacare and yada, yada. So maybe like you can make an argument that their substantive policy agenda is worthwhile, but them as people appear to be habitual liars and we can't trust anything that, that they've said. That's that in and of itself is so damaging to a democracy. Well, especially when, when they like represent power. you as a country. Right, exactly. Like, we can't even trust the people that represent us. And to that point, and going very quickly back to the issue of perjury and what have you, obstruction of justice, uh, it should be noted that one of the big problems that these emails reveal is that uh, Donald Trump Jr. and Jared Kushner, who, as Matt mentioned, was also at this meeting with the Russian lawyer, both of them failed to disclose this meeting when they were being given their security clearance. That is a huge deal in and Mm -hmm. of itself. The very reason that White House officials have to go through such a strenuous security clearance process is to determine whether or not they are acting alongside foreign agents or maybe compromised in some way. And so to lie or to omit on those disclosure forms 
is in and of itself a huge deal and could be an investigation on its own. So I, I understand that Donald Trump Jr. was trying to sort of get ahead of the story by tweeting out all these emails himself before the New York Times dropped them. But in so doing, he gave credibility to the narrative that he's lied on his disclosures and he's in trouble for that. And so is Jared. Kushner. I don't I don't think that he was thinking that far ahead. I, I, don't. I, I, I don't mean, who think knows which smart. direction they were thinking? Yeah, this fucking family. Yeah. Anyway, we'll keep an eye on it, guys. Um, you know, Unfortunately. Who, who the fuck knows? This time next week, Mike Pence might be president. I have no idea. There's also something really interesting going on in the tech world right now that's also kind of related to politics. Elisa, what are Amazon and Netflix doing? So later on this week, apparently, I think on Thursday, Amazon and Netflix are going to throttle their websites and streaming services in protest of the FCC's plan to get rid of net neutrality. We've talked a lot about net neutrality before on the show, but the too long didn't read version is that um, it, it protects a free and open internet and mandates basically that internet is a utility and therefore the companies like Comcast, Verizon, etc., can't restrict our access to websites nor can they give us different speeds for different websites. Um, and that's a big deal. That's what net neutrality is. Well, the FCC now is uh, announcing, they announced a few weeks ago, rather, that they plan to get rid of net neutrality because why the fuck not? Some people just like to watch the world burn. And the fear, of course, is that we'll have restricted access to content and that Comcast and all those other companies can sort of just willy-nilly decide how fast the internet runs based off of what they do and don't like. So, like, if Netflix, I don't know, airs a, or, or, or acquires access to a movie that Comcast doesn't fucking like for whatever political reasons, they can say, fuck you, Netflix, and decide to throttle Netflix and make their speed so slow that they're effectively unusable. That is a possibility without net neutrality. So they're trying to fight back here by showing customers what we are risking by not keeping net neutrality. I feel like we're always going to be doing this because we've already done this already. So it's going to be an ongoing fight. I So I just want to play devil's advocate here for a second because I understand why they're doing it. But why does making it so that I can't watch Scandal on Thursday make any sense? Uh, oh, you mean what they're doing? Yeah. You're going to throttle my service to protest the FCC. Are they going to do it for the for just one day or the entire week? No, I think it's just I think it's just one day. All right. Better be. Think, no, I'm just kidding. But what's, think, what's the what's the director of the FCC's name? Ajit Pai. And Ajit, yeah, Ajit Pai. Why don't we just throttle him? <laughs> and I I'm not actually like talking about physically throttling him. I would never promote that kind of physical violence against anyone except Donald Trump. But yeah, let's just throttle his Netflix and his Hulu and his porn and or just everyone Netflix. that's going to be voting for the bill. Just like all the senators and everything. Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, Matt, those people don't use the internet. No, well, they use Twitter. I think it, I know I, that. I, I know they honestly, use Twitter. 
think it's incredibly smart of them to do this because there are a lot of people who aren't paying attention to this or just don't even realize that net neutrality is, you know, weeks away from being a thing of the past. But I guarantee you they'll fucking notice when they try and boot up, you know, Great British Baking Show or whatever the kids are watching these days. And they're like, oh, I can't uh-huh. watch it. Or like try that to get it on like Amazon. like what you're watching these days. Yeah, that I fucking <laughs> love that show. <laughs> <laughs> fucking love that show. Or no, no, know, no. I I agree with you. Know, you. I'm I'm just being. No, I know. I know uh, you are. But I just have to give them props mm-hmm. for like putting money where their mouth is because they're going to get a lot of yeah. angry customers over this, and it's going to completely eat into their time and resources to address all the anger and confusion. But it's totally worth it. Agreed. So yeah. what do we do? What do we do? First of all, uh, Ajit Pai can be reached at twitter.com forward slash Ajit Pai FCC. So his handle is at A-J-I-T-P-A-I-F-C-C. That's his Twitter handle. I'm going to go ahead and encourage everybody to tweet at him directly and be like, what the fuck, bro? This makes no sense. Um, you can also just tweet at I'm doing the it FCC. right now. You can tweet the FCC directly at FCC too, um, but Ajit Pai is really the one who's sort of spearheading this right now. You can write a letter to your local editor um, to just raise awareness. A lot of people really underestimate, I think, how how important that is, um, because when you as a as as a resident write to your local paper. They are fucking thrilled that anyone's even reading them these days, let alone interacting with them. So you're probably more likely to get published than you even realize. So find, like, whatever local newspaper that you have and let them know how you feel about this. Obviously, you can you can and should always call your elected officials. Participate in social media. Believe it or not, I think that, you know, just being active in a public way does such an important it does such a good job rather at raising awareness for important issues like this. So many people still don't understand that we are so close to losing net neutrality Uh, and tell family and friends what the fuck is going on. Like just that direct fucking grassroots shit, man. Call someone. All right, Elisa, I just tweeted to Ajit Pai FCC the exact quote that you told me. I'm assuming this is what you want our listeners to do. So I tweeted him and said, what the fuck, bro? This makes no sense. And I hashtagged it Millennial Podcast and save net neutrality. So <laughs> cool. if, you, if, you would, if you would like to tweet a Jeep Pie FCC the exact same thing, be sure to include this hashtag so we can keep track of how many of you do it. And uh, and don't retweet we, it. Just copy and yeah, paste it. Yeah, just copy and paste it. And we might repay you in sexual favors. Might? Well. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you don't even have to. If you want to, the real question, <laughs> in seriousness, there's only, there's one real question. If you're going to ask someone anything about this issue and they're trying to defend the FCC right now, ask them just one question. Who does this benefit? Getting rid of net neutrality. How does that help me or you? Who does this benefit? There is no angle, no spin in the world that they that that will somehow equal benefiting the common people. It benefits nobody 
but the the big companies who want more control over our internet. Agreed. Uh, All right, guys, save the internet. This this is your job for the next week. This is us. Oh my God, this is us. <laughs> All right, uh, moving along to something a little bit lighter before we get into uh, some confessionals here. <laughs> Matt, tell me what happened because <laughs> I don't even. I I can't. Okay, let me. Okay, let me paint this. the scene. Okay, so I saw this article on BuzzFeed recently, and I just could not stop laughing over the story. So, these two coworkers, uh, we're just going to call them by their first names, Chris and Shelley, are on this show called China Uncensored. And Shelley, who is a big Harry Potter fan, has been having like conversations with uh, her friend Chris about the fact that he's never seen any but the last Harry Potter film and hasn't read any of the books in the past 20 years. He just never had the chance to jump on the bandwagon. Anyway, so recently he got his hands on the books and he was extremely excited. He said, I loved it. I was instantly hooked, was what he texted her. And this is when things got kind of weird. So he texted her right after that. My initial reaction was, wow, puberty hit Hogwarts hard. And then that's when Shelley was kind of like, what are you talking about? And so what apparently what happened was once he got to the fifth book, things started to get a little weird to the point where Shelley realized what Chris read was Harry Potter fan fiction. <laughs> and I understand how Harry Potter fan fiction is pretty good, some of it. Or some of the authors who do it are pretty good. No, they are. And some of them are really kind of fucking weird and sexual and crazy. So they posted this uh, this text conversation, and I thought it would be really fun to play this out in like a little dramatic reading. Oh, boy. All right. So, right. Uh, Matt and Elisa, you're up. All right. All right. So I'm blue, right? Uh, yeah. Let's do this. So Dudley dies in Harry Potter, right? Do you want him to? No. I just got to the part where he was killed, but Julia didn't remember that, so I just want to make sure I'm not reading some weird fan fiction. Uh, what book are you on? Finishing up Order of the Phoenix. He doesn't die in Order of the Phoenix. Are you serious? He doesn't jump off a building? (laughs) What the heck? No. I guess it's not a huge spoiler, but he doesn't die at all. What the what? You're trolling me. No, I'm not. Dudley doesn't die. In fact, as the books go on, he gets almost no screen time. Why is he jumping off a building? He was placed under the Imperious Curse and made to jump off his school by the rat guy. (laughs) (laughs) Rat guy? What the fuck is that? Oh, uh, I don't know what you're reading, but it's not the Order of the Phoenix. Did you get all your books from the same place? It was all of them in one collection. Maybe it's segged into the sixth? No, that never happened in the books. Dudley is never forced to commit suicide. No. And I assume the scenes where Harry and Hermione get intimate... Okay, now you're trolling me. Nope. There's no sex in Harry Potter. Wizarding age of consent is 15. What? The Order of the Phoenix was full of it. Okay, in the real Order of the Phoenix, Harry is barely able to kiss a girl for the first time, and it's not Hermione. At no point did you think, wait, this seems kind of weird for a kid's book? Are you serious? I mean, I'd heard they got more mature and dark as it went on. Okay, so I think I know what the answer is going to be, but did Draco and Ginny fake a rape scene? 
No, I can't even. I'm laughing so hard. I'm crying. It, it gets keeps going on and on. Like Jesus ugh. Christ! Like <laughs> what rock has this person been living under? I mean, obviously this isn't really news, but it's just funny. I, I mean, the part where Draco and Ginny fake a rape scene. <laughs> Yeah, like, wait, they fake it? They fake, I I guess it was a ploy. I don't know. I mean, fuck, I don't know. Maybe it was Andrew who wrote this. That sounds entirely plausible. (laughs) I I feel like we should ask Andrew. (laughs) I feel like we should ask Andrew when when he gets back, like, what have you done here? Apparently, I'm reading through the rest of the messages. Uh, The story that this person had been reading um, included necrophilia. So, you know, why not? (laughs) <laughs> this is this is I mean, here's, here's the thing guys like fan fiction's fucking weird and i don't understand though how someone can now matt's right there's great fan fiction out there like really really well written fan fiction but for the most part it's pretty obvious that it is indeed fan fiction you know like i don't see how someone can read a story and really think like hmm sounds like something that people across the globe are reading their 10 year olds you know i just love the the whole harry potter fandom just keeps continuing to surprise us <laughs> yeah by getting more terrible anyway <laughs> I love mo- it. I love m- moving it. along to our confessional uh those of you who listened to our live stream last week will remember that we talked about an email that we decided to shelf for this week because uh, it's gonna it's gonna raise some hackles. Uh, yeah, some you'll people. see why. You'll see why. Uh, it definitely it, it made me bristle a little bit when I read it. So uh, since it mentions me early on, I guess I'll be the one to read it. You so go, girl. You they do say it. they say, "Hey guys, I'm a new listener, and I've been binge listening to your episodes. You guys are super insightful and knowledgeable when it comes to getting me more informed on politics." I've just hit a string of episodes where Laura talks about house hunting, and it's getting me really pissed. Okay, I'm sorry that my fucking, you know, lifelong happiness is pissing you off, but, you know, it's fine. You do you. Just read it, Laura. (laughs) (laughs) I'm 27. I'd say that firmly puts me in the millennial category. I'm so tired of hearing my peers and others talk about the struggles of being a millennial. I have two university bachelor degrees with zero debt. I have a house and I own my car. And I have already climbed up several rungs in my career ladder. I came from a lower middle class family and neither of my parents completed their post-secondary education with my mom being a stay-at-home mom and my dad working several jobs in the service industry to make ends meet. I say this so that you know that I was in no way handed life on a silver platter. So excuse me if I have zero sympathy for hearing my peers and colleagues bitch and moan about how life is so hard and unfair for us millennials, how they can't get a job that pays enough or afford to do anything but rent shitty places with shitty roommates. These aren't just 20-something recent graduates either. They're people in their 30s and even in their 40s. They tell me that I'm lucky. It wasn't luck. It was hard work and planning. It was knowing exactly what career in life I wanted from a young age and getting the grades I needed, working hard and saving every spare penny. And it hasn't been without its setbacks. It took me longer to finish my degree than it should have. I had to live with my parents longer than I would have liked. But now I have a life that I love and everything that I need, and I'm so happy. I don't see why my peers struggle so much. 
I have sympathy for people who have had life stomp all over them, but a lot of my peers came from upper middle class families, if not better, with a far more enriched start in life than mine. It's to the point where I can't even date people anymore because they all seem to be whiny man-children with nothing but complaints and excuses. Am I an awful person for being fed up with, quote, millennials? Um, I think, <clears throat> yeah. I want to say no, but let's see how it goes. <laughs> Okay, okay. There's a lot to parse in that yeah, email. There is. But I I think I think first things first. I think me I think that we should make a clear distinction between people who are complaining uh for no good reason and people who are um complaining for good reason. So there is of course a category of human in any generation who has had life handed to them in multiple ways and still just doesn't quite get it. You know, we talk about this a lot in the liberal sphere. Those people are folks that for various different reasons might have a lot of privilege in society, whether it's racial, whether it's just being born into a a wealthy family and they don't recognize that they have that privilege and they complain about things all the time anyway. Like, Oh God, my phone's cracked and I'm going to have to get my dad to spend money on it. Like, Yes, that is annoying. And there are millennials like that, just like there are generation everythings like that. So if the person writing in is referencing those people, then yeah, I'm with you. Because I know that there are a lot of folks our age who just really don't quite get how good they've had it growing up, sometimes myself included. And they complain, and that's not cool. But I'm not sure that's who they're talking about here. Nope. Um, Go ahead, Laura. <laughs> I I want to start out by saying it does sound like you've worked really hard and that you weren't given quite the leg up in life that some people are given at a very young age. And I think that's super admirable. I'm really glad for you. I'm glad that all that hard work has paid off. I wish that other people in your position could say the same thing. The The troubling assumption about this email to me is that if you just work hard, it's all going to work out. And I think that particularly, and I, I don't know where you're from, here in the States where uh, most of us in, in this, you know, mid-20s group were thrust into a destroyed economy Uh, It didn't work out that way for a lot of people. Uh, I consider myself to be very privileged. I I was afforded opportunities that uh, a lot of people weren't given, and I've still found it difficult at times, even given the leg up that I had. So I can't imagine what it would have been like for somebody trying to do everything that I've done who didn't quite have the resources that I had. So I would say that it's really good to have your... It's good for you to recognize where you came from and that your hard work paid off. It's great that you are a a, a little, that you're a worker ant. That's amazing. But you have to recognize that you cannot assume that you know or understand other people's circumstances. And that's what you're doing here. And I think that's why 
it really rankled me when I read it um, because, of course, I talked about my house hunting thing and was super open about it. But I don't see why anything I said or communicated would be cause for getting pissed because the only aim there was to share information for other first-time homebuyers in what is a very difficult market. So if that pissed you off, I don't care. (laughs) I, I, I don't know if I don't know if it pissed this person off specifically about you. I think it might have uh, st- struck a nerve quote to a sensitive area where this person feels very strongly about people like complaining or struggling about how hard it is to get a house or. But a, it is hard. But well, here's it, it, I, it is oh, hard. Uh, Absolutely, it's hard. Okay, go ahead. Here, here's 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 the thing. I, I agree by and large with what Laura's saying about not making assumptions about other people. The other the other point that's important here is that homeowner laws are very variable state by state by state, and so is the cost of living. That's very variable, state by state, city by city, county by county. And I wouldn't make the assumption that, you know, again, like Laura said, we have no idea where this person uh, is from. They could be an international listener. But I wouldn't make the assumption that because uh, you could afford a home in your state or your county under the laws that govern you, that someone else with very different laws and very different circumstances and very different markets should be able to do the exact same thing in the exact same timeline. The United States is a huge country. It's fucking enormous. California's homeowner laws and the, and, and the regulations for loans and mortgages, night and day compared to New Jersey, Minnesota, South Dakota, they're nowhere near the same. So as an example of this, I have two cousins. Both of them work in IT. One of them lives in California, sort of halfway between LA and and San Francisco. The other one lives in Minnesota. The one who lives in Minnesota has had a house for about seven years now, and he's only 31 years old. So he he he's he's had it for he's had his shit together for a long time. He basically worked for like a year out of college and was able to buy a home instantly. Now the guy in California uh, has not been able to do that. My cousin in California has not been able to do that, even though they have the exact they're in the exact same field. They work with the exact same programming languages, have the same skill sets, and even come from the exact same fucking family. But they live in two different states. And that makes all the difference. And I wouldn't underestimate that. I have enough money right now to go and buy pretty much any fucking home I'd want in, I don't know, um, Alabama or, or North Dakota, right? I do not have enough money for a parking space where I live currently. And that, and, and that, that kind of thing is very variable. I, and to Laura's point about not assuming people's circumstances... That's one thing I wouldn't assume about millennials is where they're from. Mm-hmm. And the last thing I wanted to mention on this, that I think is really critical here. We hear so much about millennials, quote unquote, complaining, not because we are out there actively complaining, but because we bring up these points in defense of ourselves. 
it's not like millennials are walking around saying, oh, look how tough it is for me. I can't do X, Y, and Z, and this sucks, and everything's awful. We only say those things because we feel compelled to point out to older generations who are shitting all over us that Mm -hmm. we don't have it as easy as they think. Now, if we were just walking around sort of freely bitching about things 24-7, that would be super annoying. But bear in mind that for the longest time, we were being attacked over and over again by our, our own grandparents, by the by articles in the media telling us that we just have to stop eating avocado toast. And and that this... That's <laughs> I remember. That's, that's what we're responding to here. Yeah, that that's what we're responding to. Um, well, I mean, an- another point, too, is that the, what they're saying that we're complaining for is because many of us have worked really hard, went to school, took out loans, and was promised a certain type of path or schematic or some road to go down to if we did this and did that, and then come to that point where we're supposed to start our lives and our careers, we're being rejected. Because there's nothing, we, we feel like we've been lied to. So and if you say, I, that's true. And if you say to millennials, I mean, we're not like a monolith, but if you were to say to millennials, listen, stop complaining about how difficult things are, like buying a home, you should first say to the older generations, listen, stop bitching about millennials. We'll stop when they stop. Otherwise, we're going to keep defending ourselves because we don't have it any harder necessarily, depending on the person, but we also don't have it any easier either. And there is this misconception, I think, among older generations that we do, that we have it easier and we defend ourselves. And I think that sometimes that defense can be interpreted as bitching. As, uh... So quit your bitching. As Louis C.K. likes to say, the greatest generation sure said the N-word a lot. <laughs> That's right. all I have to say. Exactly. <laughs> oh, Louis. I know. Well, <laughs> now that we've ended our complaints about confessionals, uh, we're going to go ahead and wrap up the show this week with some recommendations, which I don't see any listed here. So think oh. on your feet, people. What do you, what do you recommend? <laughs> I recommend recommend the ios or mobile game balls with a z oh (laughs) b-a-l-l-z and it's the simplest little game but it's so fucking addicting and it's free yeah just download balls you'll love balls (laughs) (laughs) matt loves balls um okay i would like to recommend a youtuber that i've been watching lately courtesy of my boyfriend uh, this guy's called Markiplier, and he specializes in doing playthroughs of horror games. And it's so good because, like, the games are genuinely horrifying, but his his reactions are fucking hilarious. So it's just a lot of fun to watch. Wait, wait, what's his Check name again? Out. His username is Markiplier, M-A-R-K-I-P-L-I-E-R. Oh, man, that sounds fucking awesome i love that shit yeah it's it's amazing so like we've been putting it on my tv like sitting on my couch watching this shit and it's so funny that's is it like animated 
No, no, no. Like, I mean, he's like doing playthroughs of video games. And you, he's got like himself up in the corner so you can see his reactions to shit. It's it's awesome. Cool. I am going to watch it partly for the entertainment value, but partly also to get ideas for like good horror games. Which, by yeah, the way, there's some scary shit out there, man. There I is. have no idea. Oh my God. Okay. So this is, I, I love scary shit. I just like it. But there's finding a really good scary movie is very difficult because mm-hmm. they're just. They're just cheesy most of the time. Scary video games, a whole new fucking level. I just played for the first time, apparently it's an older classic, but I'd never gotten into it before, a game called Five Nights at Freddy's. My boyfriend made me play. Oh (gasps) Oh my god, I know what you're talking about. That shit is so scary. That's the, the most viewed video that he has, too, is that game. Really? That shit is fucked. Markiplier, yeah, up. He's, it's got like sixty million views. Yeah. Oh my god, no. I'm gonna watch it. So you want to know what? I made I made the mistake of watching that one in the dark by myself the other night. Dude, no. It was a, that was just mistakes were made. That's what. So my so my fucking asshole boyfriend puts brings me into his bedroom, turns off <laughs> the lights. Makes me sit down at his fucking computer and he's like, I got something to show you. It's pitch black dark. He boots it up. There's these fucking animatronic dolls trying to cut my head <laughs> off or something. Oh, wait, they're it dolls? Was... Yeah. No, no. So, so the premise, I know, no. I, I know. Matt's reaction was my reaction. There's like nothing more <laughs> terrifying than children's toys. But these are like, Mm-mm. the premise of the game is that you're sort of in a Chuck E. Cheese style place, a Chuck E. Cheese style like restaurant, and there's all these like animatronic, like animals and dolls on stage who are singing. You are the security guard, right? And your job is to watch them. Except what you don't realize until later is that they come to fucking life and they come after you and they try and they fucking murder you. They're like murder clowns. And then you have to, like, shut the doors around you because they'll pop up suddenly right in your face. But you only have so much battery power to shut the doors. And it's a nightmare. But it's really fun. All right. Well, that, that was, those were some good recommendations, guys. That's so, yeah. This, this, we've, we've reached the end of the episode, I guess. Please don't forget to check us out. Go to our website, millennialshow.com. Uh, follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash millennialshow. Go ahead and join our Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash millennialshow. I think that's right. Also, you can probably find all of the host Twitter handles if you uh, follow the Millennial Show account. We tend to mm-hmm. tweet to ourselves because we're narcissistic and shit like that. So, yeah. Uh, also, please don't forget to tweet uh, Ajit Pai FCC and ask him what the fuck, bro. Why is this a thing? <laughs> and I think that's it. I think that's yeah. it, guys. To close us out this week, we have a special song that we're going to play just for Donald Trump Jr. Uh, hopefully you guys have a great week and we will see you next week for season three, episode 26. Bye-bye. Bye. God bless bye, us all. Bye, 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 b